All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to the letter of Paul to the Colossians, the letter of Paul to the Colossians, chapter 2. We are knee-deep into this, and uh, we have some good stuff coming up, and as you are turning there, uh, just uh, uh, a word that I want to let you know that uh, as, as your pastor, I absolutely I absolutely love you all, and I love being here. I love being able to serve you and to minister to you. Uh, and I also want you to uh, feel the freedom that if I say anything up here uh, from the pulpit that may confuse you or uh, may uh, be something that you are not familiar with, I want to encourage you to please come and come and talk to me. I, I, I want to hope I'm an, uh, I'm an approachable person, um, but I may say things, uh, maybe... Um, Maybe I'm wrong, or maybe, uh, maybe I was misunderstood, but I, I want us to understand each other. And so if there's anything that, um, like I said, is unfamiliar to you, I, I want us to talk about it, and I want us to, to work through things. And so uh, if there's anything you have, please call me, email me, stop in, uh, let's meet for coffee, something. And so uh, I want to let you know that I love you, and, uh, and I want to uh, work through some things if you ever have any questions about anything. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, let's, uh, let's get started here. Uh, let's pray, and then we will dig into what uh, the Lord says here. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. Lord, we thank you for his boldness in writing the things that he did. I thank you that he suffered on our behalf. Um, uh, not nearly to the extent that you did, but I thank you, God, that you've worked through him. And Father, I pray that through his words, that the Holy Spirit inspired through him, that we would uh, be made more holy, that we would see Christ more rightly, and that we would uh, walk in the truth of, of the gospel that you have given to us, Lord. And it's within Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. Well, the song is included in uh, an exhibit at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, called the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. In 2004, Rolling Stone magazine ranked the song at number 30 in its list of 500 songs of all time. And it ranked the song as number one in the 100 greatest country music songs of all time. In June of 2014, Surprising uh, is, is when they where they put uh, that song as number one. Surprisingly, the author of the song said that the lyrics came as fast as I could write them. Within 20 minutes, the song was complete. That's a song about fidelity. Uh, the author said this about the song: "I wanted the lyrics to say I'm going to be true to those who believe in me and." Depend on me to, to myself and to God, something like I'm still true, and I will always be true. Perhaps you know the song. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'll at least read the lyrics for you. It says, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes open all the time. I find the ends out from the tie that binds because you're mine. I walk the line. Good. You guys know this one. You all want to sing it for me? That would be great. 
I find it very, very easy to be true. I find myself alone when each day is through. Yes, I'll admit I'm a fool for you because you're mine. I walk the line. You've got to keep, you've got a way of, to keep me on your side. You give me a cause for love that I cannot hide. For you, I know I'd even try to turn the tide because you're mine. Walk the line. Yeah, I walked the line by Johnny Cash. And if you know anything about Johnny Cash, <laughs> you would actually know the irony of this song because it's all about fidelity. But only a, a decade later, uh, Johnny Cash's marriage had dissolved because of an affair that had been uh, gone public with him and, and, and June Carter. And uh, it was revealed that Cash had, in fact, not walked the line, he didn't stay true. You know, thus far in the, the letter of Paul to the Colossians, um, Paul has labored uh, for us to show us the supremacy of Christ in all things. His heart's desire was that you and I would see King Jesus in all of his beauty, in all of his sovereignty, in all of his deity, in all the magnificent work that Jesus has done on our behalf. And he's writing to a church at Colossae because there had been some dangerous teachings that had snuck in through the back door in various ways. Though they had received Jesus... They were being pressured to be more Jewish from some, and they were being pressured to be more pagan from others. This temptation to synchronize Jesus with all of these various thoughts, all of these various philosophies and practices was very intense in the church at Colossae, and that leads us to our text this morning. In verse 6, Paul gives us his thesis. It's his main point. That is, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In essence, Paul is telling them and us, because we are his, we should walk the line. So today we're going to we're going to see what it looks like to walk the line in Christ, and then we're going to walk through some practical ways to see how do we actually walk the line with Jesus. So if you have your, your, your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be in, uh, starting in verse 6. If you don't have your Bibles with you, that's fine. That's going to be on the screen uh, behind me. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, 
in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So because the Lord Jesus Christ has made us his and he has made himself ours, we need to walk the line. And our first way to do that is first watch how you walk. Watch how you walk. Verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The command that Paul gives here is an extension that falls right on the heels of the argument that he had uh, in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2. In those verses, uh, if you remember, Paul had described to the Colossians how he had worked hard and how he had suffered on their behalf so that the gospel could reach them and that they would know Jesus rightly, that they would not fall prey to false doctrines, false ideas, but that they would know Jesus in all of his his goodness, and that they would trust in him, and that they would be knit together uh, as a church, that their hearts would be unified in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. And, and he recognizes that this false uh, doctrine has, has crept up into the church and has the power to lead them astray from the truth. And so in verse 4, you might remember that, uh, that Paul warned them not to be duped. Don't, be, uh, don't fall prey to these false and deceptive ideas that are coming your way. Don't listen to the things that sound reasonable but aren't rooted in Christ. And so when Paul uses the word therefore in verse 6, he is basically saying, based on all of this I have, I have just said, based on my laboring and my suffering, I want to uh, warn you of this destructive teaching. And as you have received him, as you have received these things I have just said, so walk in him. Paul's not wasting words here. Epaphras uh, has come to Paul wherever he is and, and told him of the genuineness of the, the believers in Colossae and, and the genuineness of their, their faith. But even in light of that, notice how Paul here reminds them of who they have put their trust in. He doesn't just say, walk in Jesus. He doesn't just say, walk in the Christ. He doesn't just say, Walk in, uh, in the Lord. He says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. It's important that Paul had put all of these things together here. This combination of titles, Paul doesn't use anywhere else in the New Testament. Sure, he says Christ, uh, he, he might say uh, Jesus Christ our Lord, but here is the only order in the entire New Testament that he uses for that. And that should tell us that this is important. He is doing a, a subliminal message, if you will, by reminding them that Jesus is no mere man. 
that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the one that, that uh, God had promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. That he had promised Abraham would be the fulfillment of Abra the covenant that he had made with Abraham. But he's not just that. He is Christ Jesus, the Lord. He is 100% man. He is 100% God in one. And as the Lord, he is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. He is God eternal who has always existed. It is Christ Jesus, the Lord, that they have received. And because he is the origin, and because he is the sum of all things, because he is what Paul wrote in, in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, that he's the creator and he's the sustainer of everyone and everything, because he is the image of the invisible God, then in him they and we have everything that we could ever possibly need. We don't need to add anything on to Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 3, he tells us that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so what Paul is telling us here is he's saying, look, I know that you are being hit on all sides with different ideas, with different thoughts, with different worldviews, but because you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, you don't need those other things. They will not only distract you from where your focus needs to be, but they will take you completely off course. This is true for us. The political world, the media, Facebook posts, television shows, entertainment, the culture, they are competing with your attention. And Christ Jesus is saying that he wants all of us. If Christ is the Lord over all of even those things, then we ought to take our cues from him and him alone. That's why Paul encourages us in verse 6, Therefore, as you received Jesus the Lord, so Walk in him. To walk isn't, isn't just this physical movement that you make, but rather it is to conform, it is to align every part of your life to be in conformity to Christ. It is to align our thoughts. It is to align our, our words and our actions to be pointing to his glory and his goodness to be consistent with our calling in Christ. And in verse 7, he metaphorically shows us an overview of what that looks like. He says that to walk in Christ is to be rooted and built up. He has two different images there, one of agriculture and one of construction to help us get this mental picture of what he is saying. 
When we lived in, in Louisville, one thing that I was always just fascinated by was we would have these strong storms that would come through. And I'd love to drive through the town after these storms would happen because inevitably there would be trees that would be down all over the place. And it's not as if the trunks were weak and the wind just knocked over and, and broke the trunks. These trees were generally completely uprooted. And these are old trees. And when you would look at the roots, you would, you would realize that these, these trees had roots that only went wide, but not very deep. And so then uh, there was also another time when we were in Louisville that we were, uh, I guess we were hit with a tornado. I, I didn't really realize we were in a tornado, so I was actually standing at the, the, uh, the sliding glass door at our apartment. I know it's real smart to do during, during a, a tornado. But um, I was looking at the trees, and I was fascinated because there were some trees that when the wind was hitting them, they were bent over in a U-shape and were scraping uh, the ground. But then after the storm, you go out and look at them, and they just bounced right back up to their spots. Why could they endure? It's because they had roots that were deep and abiding, that no storm could, uh, to, could come over and, and take them out. They were rooted well. And to walk in line with Christ, we must have our roots grow deep and wide, not just wide and shallow, we do this by grounding ourselves in the correct teaching of Scripture of who we are, who Jesus is, and what he has done for us. But it's not enough just to be rooted. We aren't spiritual potatoes that just grow in the ground until we're ready to be harvested. But we're also built up in him. This is a construction image it's the idea that we all in our lives are a building project that is never completed. We have bricks that are placed one on top of another, and God is, is building our lives in that, and it's a construction project that keeps growing and growing, but is never completed until we are with Christ. And even though we keep adding mortar and brick to this project— the capstone that keeps this project going, notice what Paul says here, is thankfulness. To walk in Christ in a manner worthy of the Lord is to walk in gratitude. This is a major theme for Paul throughout the book of Colossians. In fact, if you were to count them up, you would find that Paul commands us to be thankful about two times per chapter. Seven or eight times he commands us to be thankful. And when it comes to our faith, we have a tall order. Notice again what it says in verse 6, that as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Does that describe you? Have you received Christ Jesus, the Lord? If so, does your public and your private life line up with the walk that we are called to have? How is your root system? Is it uh, wide and shallow? Or are your roots 
growing deep. What about your building project? Is it on hold? Are you putting your, your faith and, and your walk in Christ aside so that you can accomplish goals or, or anything like that? Uh, uh, how, how are you being built up? And what about your heart? Are you prone to complain? Or are you abounding in thankfulness? Because we are His, we need to walk the line. But second of all, we need to walk in Christ's wisdom. We need to walk in Christ's wisdom. Uh, notice with me in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You know, when we think of the, the phrase uh, being taken captive, we tend to think of it uh, more so in the, the positive terms. We want to be captivated by, by beauty. We want to be captivated by, by mystery. We want to be taken captive by all these alluring things that will grab our attention and uh, maybe fulfill us in some sort of way. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I love being captivated by the beauty of my wife. I love being captivated by the joy in my children. It is something that I absolutely love, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. Uh, it's not a positive thing. The only thing that uh, the word captive that Paul uses here that can translate into our understanding is the word kidnapping. And so you could, you could substitute that word, if you wanted to, of, ki of, of captive for kidnapping. It is a word that was used for the spoils of war. That uh, when an enemy would come in and conquer a community... They would take uh, the, the, uh, le the leftover people, the soldiers, the women, the children, and they would take them onto their area and they would become slaves. Maybe slave brides, whatever the case is. But that's the picture here. And Paul warns us, don't be kidnapped by these things. Now the irony here is, is that when we think of, of kidnappings and we think of uh, the spoils of war, we rightfully see these things as going against our will. You hear the stories of people that, that uh, someone grabs them in a public place and they fight as hard as they can to get away. These people that were spoils of war, it wasn't something that they willingly said, this is what I, I, I want. I want to go with these people that just killed my husband and, and now has taken all my stuff and my children. That's not how it works. But in this sense, Paul is telling the Colossians and us that we can be kidnapped by these ideas and not even realize it. That we can be taken captive by these destructive notions and actually enjoy it. We can be taken prisoner and think that these ideas and these practices actually bring life. But as it is, Paul warns us, see to it that no one, that no one takes you captive. This ought to tell us that these kidnappers can come from without, and they can also come 
from within. We have not only the world and its philosophy, but we have also uh, these ideas that have, have crept into the Christian culture and promote human tradition. And even though these, these ideas might sound Christianese, they're not according to Christ. Now, this, this idea of philosophy here is not what we're talking about in, uh, in an academic sort of way. We're not talking about uh, uh, Greek philosophy necessarily, but rather we're talking about worldviews. Philosophy uh, is, is two Greek words that are put together. Phileo, which means love, and, and, and sophia, which means wisdom. And so it is the love of wisdom. And so we have these ideas that we think are wise about how the world works, the way in which our culture should operate, uh, the way in which we should think. And it's this philosophy of the world, and it encompasses the idea of what the world thinks is wise. So because we have this, these negative influences uh, from the outside world and some that have infiltrated the church, we have to be on guard. We have to be on guard. Paul told us in, the, in, in one of the verses last week in, in verse 4 of chapter 2, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible-sounding arguments. You can fight off a kidnapper with everything that you have, and in our case, you do so with the wisdom and the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord that is imparted by the Holy Spirit, that we can know him rightly. And the grounding of our stability here, notice, is found in verses 9 through 10. Paul writes, For in him, that is Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So if you were to look for key words in these two verses right here, uh, the word that you would want to have come out at you from the page is the word fullness or full, depending on how you, you, your translation reads there. In Jesus, the fullness of everything that is God dwells bodily in him. And by means of our union with Christ, we find our completion. We find our fullness. Now, the fullness of deity doesn't dwell in our body, but what Paul is saying here is rather our lives are complete in him. There's nothing else we need. There's nothing else that we could desire besides him. And through faith, the Holy Spirit resides in us. And Peter capitalizes on this in 2 Peter chapter 1 when he says this. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through what? The knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Notice he doesn't say that God's divine power has granted to you all uh, some things that pertain to your life, and you need to go searching for those other things. He says all things. In other words, why would you want the false instead of the true? 
Why would you want the fake news of what the world says when we have a grasp on the eternal truth given to us in his word? Paul backs up in verse 10 when he says, Christ is the head, the ruler of all rule and authority. If Christ is over everything, if he is living and reigning in heaven at the right hand of God the Father right now, we ought not to allow ourselves to be taken by these lesser practices, these lesser ideas. The immediate question then is, what have we allowed to take us captive? What in your life, what worldly ideas have you adopted about how the world works? About what is true about sin and and righteousness and Christ and God and how we ought to treat each other and love each other? Are you letting Christian-sounding things take you captive? I know it sounds weird, but not everything that you buy at Lifeway or ChristianBook.com is helpful for us to know, love, and savor Christ Jesus, our Lord. Other voices might be helpful, but Paul's point is that we need to walk in wisdom and the knowledge of Christ. So walk in Jesus' wisdom. But thirdly, we also need to walk in Christ's work. Now, Paul closes his argument out here uh, with four metaphors. And I absolutely love that he uses metaphors because that means I don't have to come up with sermon illustrations. He's already illustrated us uh, for us here. And he uses the, the idea of circumcision, baptism, uh, resuscitation, and uh, legal slash financial, however you want to, uh, uh, to view that. Look with me in verse 11. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, it is likely that Paul uh, alludes to this particular verse because of the inerrant pressure of the, uh, of the Jewish population that was in Colossae, putting on the church to become more Jewish. And what is the defining mark of being uh, a Jew? It was circumcision. If there was any question that any uh, male in a Jewish community was a Jew— it didn't take much to prove it. They had the mark of being Jewish. However, in the entire book of Galatians, Paul is laboring uh, to tell us that in Christ, we don't need to be more Jewish. In fact, we don't need to be Jewish at all. In the book of Ephesians, he, he uh, teaches us that uh, because in Christ, and that Christ has come, Jewishness is over. Gentileness is over. But the two have become one new race in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so with that background, we can understand then what Paul means here in verse 11. God's people 
are no longer marked by the scars on their body, but rather God's people are marked by the scars that Christ bore on the cross. We're no longer marked by the removal of the foreskin, but by the removal of the stone around our hearts that prevented us from knowing and loving God as we ought to. In Christ's death, God took a hammer and a chisel and chiseled away at our hearts until we finally had true life in Christ. The second image that he uses here is one of baptism. And to preface this, I need to step back a second here and remind us that the act of baptism does not save us. Salvation is an issue of the heart, uh, not of getting wet. With that being said, however, we must see that scripturally, it is hard to separate the act of baptism from the event of salvation. You read in the book of Acts, and every single time someone gets baptized, uh, someone comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens? Immediately they go and they get baptized. I woke you up over there, didn't I? Yeah. (laughs) Immediately they get baptized. Faith, repentance, and baptism are so related in these accounts that it is hard to separate them. Yet, for some reason, in our evangelical culture, when someone comes to faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ, uh, before they get baptized, we have to make them go through a class. We have to wait a certain amount of time to prove that they are actually in the faith. We have to see that their, that their conversion is genuine. Try to find that anywhere in here. Someone comes to faith, and they are, they are dunked in the water. If Christ Jesus the Lord commands us to be baptized, are we not in sin by delaying their obedience? And why is that? Precisely because what Paul writes here, he says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him in faith. When we come to Christ, there's a number of things that are happening. We die. That old self, it's gone. You may have a few of those residual behaviors that might stick around that Christ is slowly trying to uh, uh, get rid of in, in your life, and the Holy Spirit is working on that. But Paul here tells us that when we come to faith, we are united to Christ in such a way that his death is our death. We were buried with him, Paul says. So in baptism, when we are lowered into the water, we are joining Christ in his burial. And further, when we come to faith in him, we're reborn. We are given a new heart with new inclinations and new desires. We are spiritually resurrected. And by means of our union with Christ, his resurrection is our resurrection. And so being pulled out of the waters of baptism is showing that reality of what Christ has 
done. We're joining him in that new life. And that's why I'm, I, 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 I want to be gentle in how I say this. I'm sympathetic to the theological arguments of our Lutheran and Presbyterian brothers and sisters in the Lord, and I, and I definitely consider brothers and sisters, but I have to uh, respectfully disagree with the doctrine of baptism. Faith is not imparted at baptism, as Lutherans would uh, try to argue in a sense. And neither is baptism a replacement of circumcision into the community of faith. It's a highly symbolic act of Christ's work. And we as the church are, un- are uh, as, as a church, are not unique in the fact that we have had many questions that have come uh, to the leadership over the years uh, and arguments that, that ask about why do we require believers' baptism in order to be uh, a member. And notice I'm not talking about the mode completely dunked or poured. I'm not dealing with that here. I'm talking about just the act. And I'm happy to entertain those questions. As I said before, I'd love to talk about these things. I would love to have these kind of conversations with you. But I think the more important question is, If you've come to Christ, why would you not want to be baptized? Why would you not want to be baptized? If Christ commanded us to be baptized, to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey my commands, we do good on those other things, but when it comes to baptism, we're sort of hands off. When they're ready, they'll do it. Christ commanded us. Why would we disregard that? Further, Paul goes on to the third metaphor here, and that's the one of resuscitation. Verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. If you're one that writes in your Bible, underline that word all. You are forgiven all of your trespasses. To, work, uh, to walk in Christ's work is to realize that if we don't know him, we are spiritually dead on arrival. We might be good people, but our intrinsic goodness doesn't get us anywhere in the economy of God. Further, we can't resuscitate ourselves. How many of you have ever seen one of those doctor shows, whether it's on NBC or TLC, where someone comes in and they're completely unconscious, their heart isn't beating, and they say, oh, hold on a second, could you give me the shockers, please, and I'll wake myself up. It doesn't happen. We cannot resuscitate ourselves. It needs to come from outside of ourselves. But as it is, we were dead and God revived us. And how does it say here that he did it? By forgiving us all our trespasses. Think of trespasses as as there's a border that we should not cross. And you and I didn't just tiptoe up to that border. We just ran right through it. Trespassing his laws and expectations. But Paul says that God forgave us all our trespasses. And because of that, we can join with the hymn writer. 
when he sung, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In verse 14, now Paul gives us a, a final illustration. That's one of debt. He said that he forgave us all of these by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You know, I, like many of you, had this monthly piece of paper that was sent to me consistently for years and years and years saying, you owe us money for going to school. We faithfully paid, we, we faithfully paid extra as we could, and then we got this letter in the mail that said, congratulations, your debt is paid in full. That student loan was, was gone. It was no more. It was erased from our credit score, from my credit score, I guess. And, and uh, it, is, uh, it is completely gone. And for us, we continue to get spiritual letters of debt that show us what we would owe to God if it wasn't for Christ Jesus. And Christ intercepts that letter that comes into the mail. He looks at it. He wipes it clean with his blood, tears it up, and throws it out. It says, your debt, the record of your sins that you owed to God, the punishment that you deserve, was paid in full by my blood. It is gone. Whatever you've said, whatever you've done, Whatever you've thought, the sickest, darkest thing from your past has been completely redeemed by Christ Jesus. Whatever guilt you are harboring is nailed to the cross. And you don't have to bear it anymore. Praise the Lord. Our sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord. What Christ has done for us is unfathomable. And we can walk the line when we remember not only his wisdom, but his work. And maybe you're here today and, and, and maybe there's something that struck a chord with you. And maybe you've, you haven't been walking the line with Christ. Maybe your life has been completely off the line. Maybe you've been on a completely different road. And Christ is calling you back. You're harboring this guilt. You're harboring the shame, whatever it is. Christ can redeem it. He can make you new. And you can do that by receiving him. It's, it's simply by saying to God, no, I, I, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. It is praying to God, God, I realize that I am a sinner and there's nothing that I can do on my own to get to you, so I receive Christ Jesus' work on my behalf. If that's you today, you can receive Christ and be made new today. You know, Johnny Cash sung it well, well, he sang everything well, but he sung this one well. We need to walk the line. We need to keep a close watch on this heart of ours. We need to keep our eyes wide open all the time. We need to keep the ends out for the tie that binds because Christ is yours and mine. 
we walk the line. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in what Christ Jesus has done for us, God. The sin, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought. Not in part, not in whole, is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Father, I pray this morning that our hearts would be lifted, that we would be encouraged by the words that the Apostle Paul wrote here. Lord, that we don't need to, to walk in the ways of the world. We don't need to find our hope in other things. Our hope is squarely fixed upon Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And so, Father, I pray for those here this morning that maybe have never walked with Jesus. God, that right now in their hearts, Lord, that they would feel the tugging of the Spirit calling them to you. Lord, that they would go to you right now and say, Lord Jesus, I receive you. I'm done living this life that I've been living. I now want the life, the free gift that you give me. Father, I pray for those this morning that may have followed you in the past, but maybe they're not walking the line right now. Father, I pray that you would gently lead them back or forcefully lead them back if they need that. God, help us to keep our eyes focused on Christ. Lord, would you do this work not only in our individual hearts, but also in the, hearts of, uh, in the heart of this church as a whole, that we may know the risen Christ, the power of his resurrection, and that we would live lives that walk the line with you. Amen.